Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale July 10th, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And every week we run you through all the new comics that come out from Marvel, the print issues, stuff on digital, our apps, Marvel Unlimited, Marvel Comics, as well as all the collections and stuff. Uh, Tucker... Yeah. Let's dive into the books for this week. Uh, first up is Age of X-Men, Apocalypse and the Extracts, written by Tim Seeley, art by Salva Espin, colors by Israel Silva, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Um, this one is pretty much all about the power of love compels you. Yeah. I mean, it's really all, all about the power of love. <laughs> the apocalypse and his hippies. The power of love. Dude. Right? Yeah. I don't think we could do any more than that. Yeah, like okay. one note it? and we were... <laughs> Very good. Uh, Apocalypse and his hippies, they they fight in this issue, like, against each other. And I really love seeing Israel let loose with Apocalypse. Like, he just draws such a cool Pocky. And here, some of the action is big, classic, A-belt buckle Apocalypse. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, full on, like, look at me. Here I am. But by the end, you just see pretty much everybody across all the books is like, we got to go get Nathan Gray. Yeah. He's yeah, yeah, really, really awesome stuff. Okay, my first book this week is Amazing Spider-Man 25. It's written by Nick Spencer, and I'm looking at this 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 credits page. It, the pencils are by Ryan Otley, Umberto Ramos, Patrick Gleason, and Kev Walker. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like that's that's insane. Yeah, talk about an all-star team. Okay, inks are by Cliff Rathburn, Victor Olazaba, Dexter Vines, Patrick Gleason, and Kev Walker. Colors by Nathan Fairbairn, Edgar Delgado, Dave Stewart, and Laura Martin. And letters are by VCs Joe Carmania. And it's my first pick of the week. Oh yeah, for a lot of those reasons you yeah. just talked about, that amazing creative team. Uh, the main story in this issue is actually packed with awesome Mary Jane stuff, mm-hmm. which I really, really dug into. It's her actually being a hero, being an actor, being sassy, being just in general, being awesome, being yeah. the Mary Jane that we love to read about. And then, you know, man, Ryan Otley, he's so good with everything. I'm, I was thinking specifically of there's this one-page monologue that a character gives and the work Ryan does with that character's eyes, the body language, the framing of each panel, the pacing of it, the way the story is told through those through the art itself. You you could take away all the dialogue and see a journey of emotion and, and storytelling. He is really showing like he's the dude. Yeah. I, I mean we talked about this issue on the video version of the pullist um this week and I don't know. I After Hunted, which I absolutely loved, and I thought it was really cool and a great concept and a really awesome way to, to zoom in and, and focus in on some some more obscure villains and villains that we don't actually get to see uh, in front and center that often. After that, now coming into this issue 25, I'm just like, I've loved this series since issue one, but it really is like, oh... This is why Nick Spencer is writing Amazing Spider-Man. Like, yeah. he, it is so spectacular. His command of the big stuff and, like, these big story moments that are emerging. There's a really cool villain story that's starting to come out in these last couple of issues and come to the to, to the fore. It's really cool. But then exactly what you're saying, like, the, the, the MJ stuff and, like, these more personal moments. Like, that's what this... The lizard what, stuff in yeah, this issue. That's what Spider-Man's all about. That's what Spider-Man's always been about. And he just crushes it. It's, it's so spectacular. Yeah. The lizard stuff... I think that's all drawn by Umberto mm-hmm. in this issue and just does these somber feeling panels with the use of color and the, the cross hatching. It's 
fantastic. We've got Pat Gleason's first Marvel official like interior work here. And it's it's great because it's also written in a way that lets Pat draw a bunch of Marvel characters, lets him like flex mm-hmm. his muscles and show you what he's all about and ends on this gigantic cliffhanger where people are going to be like, wait a minute, what is going on here? That's all the first chunk written by Nick. Then there's a great Spidey, Jonah, uh, Doctor Strange story by Zeb Wells, Todd Nock, Rochelle Rosenberg, and Joe Caramagna, which is super funny. Zeb, he actually worked on Spider-Man in the brand new day and, and era and on mm-hmm. a little bit after that. Then we have this other story, which just knocked my block off. It's written by Keaton Patty, a comedian who has done a ton of stuff. Uh, it was delight. Like, I think Keaton's claim to fame is this tweet about making a bot watch over 1,000 hours of Olive Garden commercials <laughs> and then write an Olive Garden commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, it's then set up as a script of what that would be like, which is hilarious yeah really really funny um and so he writes this one called robo helpers in that same vein it's the the idea is we've given a bot every spider-man comic ever and let it write its own spider-man comic and then you get dan hip to draw it uh and color it and everything and his cartoony style is fantastic his art would be amazing for like a cartoon network cartoon show but it was because he was art director for t titans go and he's just an amazing artist Top to bottom, this issue deserves your money. It is so good. Yeah, that that little story especially. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So funny. Yep. All right. Up next is Avengers number 21. It is written by Jason Aaron. Art by Jason Masters. Colors by Jason. That's a lot of Jasons. Whoa. Triple Jason. Uh, letters by VC's Joe Carmona. Joe, you should change your name to Jason on, because Joe. you're just messing up the, <laughs> the average here. Uh, look, we got to get into the important stuff right up front. This issue has naked Thor, naked Tony with his helmet on, and naked Steve in a hot tub together. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. This is the issue. Yes, Triple P is slowly grabbing for it. Yes, you can, you can go look at it. This is the content you want. Later on, they are joined by more naked and semi-clothed <laughs> Avengers. This is the content you want. Do you want She-Hulk flirting with Blade? This is the content you want. You want Captain Marvel driving a hellboat charged up by the Ghost Rider? This is the content you want. Oh, yeah, that hellboat is awesome. So good. <laughs> so cool. Do you want Black Panther being a badass boss? This is the content you want. It is Avengers number 21. Get it. Boom. Nuff said. Okay, next up we have Black Cat number two. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Travel Foreman, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by Ferran Delgado. We've like, you know, absolutely lost our minds over this this team up of Jed and Travel, especially. Okay, you have Felicia Hardy. She's a character that's a little bit mercurial. She's a little bit hard to track. Is she good? Is she bad? Is she, you know, she she obviously exists somewhere in between, but figuring out where her intentions are, her true intentions are, her true allegiances are in any given story is a fun puzzle to piece out. So to see her work with a bunch of different characters, really cool cast of characters in this in this issue is really, really awesome. There's definitely a, a cinematic quality to this story. I think just the way it's colored and the way that uh, we kind of move with the characters, there's uh, one or two splash pages also that probably are like the opposite of cinematic and like the 
definition of comic book awesomeness because of just the way that your eye is led around and, and physics are completely thrown to the side. It, 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 but it works perfectly. You know, we both loved issue number one and issue number two continues on in a really, really great vein. Like I could, I would read a, a story about like, I don't know, a trash can written by uh, Jed with art by travel. You, you know, know, that would be the wildest trash can story ever. You, Honestly, you would you're be so like, right. Yo, this trash can <laughs> is, we'd be like handing it off to people like, you got to read this story. You're so right. Yeah. So right. Uh, all right. Up next is Champions number seven, which is written by Jim Zub, art by Steve Cummings, colors by Marcio Menez, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Steven and Marcio are on fire this issue. There's a double page spread that I'm looking at right now, which is where the credits page is. And it features this huge Nova Corps space station thing. It's They call it the rock because it's literally a rock and a space station together. It's like they built the this, this space cruiser. Think of a Star Destroyer mm-hmm. in Star Wars, like that level of huge built in and around a rock. It's, it's really, really cool. really cool. And then you see the exquisite character work that Steven does for, you know, Nova, a.k.a. Sam, and the space warrior Caldera on this page and then the following pages. It's delightful. There's just so much emotion. and You can tell that they're younger heroes. Mm-hmm. And not Caldera's not really a hero. She's an assassin. Yeah. But you can tell that they're younger. It's, it's just awesome. The sequence of them getting to Nova HQ is funny and detailed, action-packed. And there's also some really big developments in this issue for uh, Kamala and Viv in relation to uh, the overall champions team. All right, next up we have Giant Size Ecstatics, number one. And talk about an awesome creative team. This one is written by Peter Milligan with art by Michael Dock Allred. Colors by Laura Allred and letters by Nate Picos of Blambot Studios. This is a team that I personally didn't have a, a ton of familiarity with. But, man, did I love this issue nonetheless. It, it's just one of those teams, and, and this is a book that I feel like occupies a very specific corner of the Mar- Marvel Universe. Uh, it's a one that's like, I don't know, it, not necessarily like self-aware, like on a panel by panel, like story way, but just in a way that, you know, if you're a, a reader, you you kind of know what they're playing off of. You 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 see the, the work beyond what's just on the page. Um, of course, the one character that I absolutely had familiarity with and just, man, do I love seeing this little dude show up. Uh, and that's dupe. Because when I say dude, I'm spelling that D-O-O-D. Um, I don't know. what Did you read Ecstatics oh, yeah. from the start? Uh, you better believe it. Uh, well, uh, You know what? Maybe not from the start. Yeah. Because I was just getting back into comics right. in late 2001 or in 2002. And so Ecstatics was originally X-Force. Right. Started in 2001, sort of reshuffled. The X-Men, we were – there was, of course, Grant Morrison's new X-Men. But on the other side of the town was X-Force and right. c- completely changed it. It was like the paramilitary team became basically a reality show. Mm. And that was what this was and introduced Dupe and, and you know, Peter and Mike come in to do what essentially is a satire of superheroes, of mutants, mm-hmm. of X-Men comics, of Marvel comics, of comics in general – and it's really weird and over the top and looks at like the sense that these characters are just going to die and they're going right. to come back and right. like, all this stuff and like playing with that and having really weird gross powers and yeah. fu- like characters that go away, but they're memorable because you have these great character designs and Peter's such a 
great, incredible artist. I keep saying great because that's the word that pops in my head when mm-hmm. I think of ecstatics. And it's it, it, it was from X-Force to ecstatics for a year and change mm-hmm. maybe. And then ecstatics itself was probably two years, give or take. Okay. So there's less than 50 issues of ecstatics before mm-hmm. this. But it has left such an indelible mark on, on comics and I think a lot of influence on Probably the the creators who are either coming up now or yeah. haven't even like fully broken through yet. Right. Like this is just like this is the jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, look, it's the all red zone art, so it's absolutely gorgeous, and it's a team that you feel you really feel their influence on. But it, it, as you're saying that, I'm kind of piecing it together, and it's just like this is, at, just reading this issue, you can feel like this is cult classic material right here. Like there's just something about it has that indelible thing, that thing that you really, it's hard to define that just makes this like, oh, this is special. This is really unique. Yeah. And of course, it's got a gay werewolf mutant, a character who projects sweat, dupe, as you said, a fight in a graveyard, so much more. You got to yeah. read it. Up next is Invisible Woman number one. Dope book alert right here. This one is written by Mark Wade, art by Mattia de Eulis, who uh, remember Mattia's work on the incredible Jessica Jones Marvel Digital Original series with Kelly Thompson. So now, you know, it's like, Perfect, perfect book. Really special. Yeah, yeah, so good. But this is Sue's first solo book, which is a friggin' shame. That's nuts. It's deplorable, the fact that it's taken us this long to get there. Johnny friggin' Storm had uh, his own spinoff in 1963. Come <laughs> on, two son. years after. Friggin' Thing had Marvel 2-in-1 right. uh, in like the 70s. I mean, yeah. Reed, nobody wants a, a Reed solo yeah. book. That's fine. So I'm sure he's had take one. Take your... But- salt and pepper looks elsewhere get out of here grandpa (laughs) but sue is awesome she's so good and this is a book where i really get to see her shine it takes place in the past and the present so it's a really neat idea in the past it's set in the fantastic four's early days telling a secret story about sue's time working for nick fury and shield doing spy stuff but it really like plays to her character she she's non-lethal she's fun she's like there's a dude flirting with her, and she's like, I'm engaged, blah, blah, blah. It's got mm-hmm. her old costume. It just looks so cool. It has a great tone. In the present, it's about how that life that she led years ago is now catching up with her, pulling her back in in some ways. There's some really fun spy stuff, awesome Sue moments with her powers, uh, with the family, with the team, with like who she is. Just terrific. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, I, I, I recently got to chat on the phone with Kurt Busiek for a while. And uh, one of the ideas that I was talking to him about was just like being a super fan and then becoming like one of Marvel's best and greatest and most acclaimed writers. And I was like, what do you think about that idea? What do, what are you like? Do you acknowledge that? Do you see yourself in, in any way approaching that? And he was just like, I mean, when you mention something like that, I think of someone like Mark Wade, yeah. um, who is the exact definition of that. And I mean, this is the perfect book to showcase that kind of thing of like the the history, the present. It's all there. It's awesome. Oh, man, dude, I, I keep flipping through the comics and we get ads of history of the Marvel Universe yeah. coming up. With I, your man. You're Javi, a dude. Yeah. I just can't like I'm vibrating in anticipation <laughs> for that series. Yeah, totally. Okay, next up we have Riri Williams, Ironheart, number eight. This is written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Luciano Vecchio, layouts by GFO, colors by Matt Mila, and letters in production by VCs Clayton Cowles. To catch everybody up on what's going on in here, we kind of were introduced to this interesting uh, creature called Eclipse, who kind of like was the cause of a, what seemed like like a zombie outbreak in Ironheart's neck of the woods. She and her buddies responded. 
including the Unstoppable Wasp, which is really, really cool. This issue, though, uh, is so much fun because I feel like the previous issue was like them on the back foot trying to figure what's going on, trying to run away and just get some time to recover and go at things. This issue really feels like uh, it's uh, Riri on the front foot, being proactive, going out there and teaming up with Dr. Stephen Strange. This series actually has kind of become such a fun I don't want to call it a, a two-hander, like a team-up book, because it's not. It's, it really focuses in on what's important to Riri and what makes Riri a really special character and uh, her life and everything like that. But we've gotten to see her. Um, we're very fortunate to be able to get to see her team up with a bunch of different heroes. And it just is so delightful to see a new, fresh character like Riri team up with some of the greats is just the best. And we, I th- you know, we saw her alongside Miles. We saw her uh, with a bunch of different characters. This one, we get to see her work along Stephen Strange, which is awesome uh, and just makes so much sense. It's just so so much fun. The next issue we actually get to see we're anticipating even more cool uh, setting and action for Riri. But this issue itself was so cool. I just love to see that um, those kind of power contrasts between like Riri, who has, of course, like the the suit and everything, and then like the mystical aspect of Stephen Strange and, and their dynamic and back and forth. It's just great. Yeah. All right. Up next is Miles Morales, Spider-Man number eight, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Javier Garon. They are credited as storytellers together, which I think is very appropriate. Colors by David Curiel, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And uh, man, so there is a really cute Scotty Young Spider-Verse variant cover for this issue. I think it's a, a San Diego variant. And it's awesome. That was, that was the first cover on the Make Ready that we have, the early mm-hmm. versions, because that's how we read uh, as many of our comics as we can. Uh, we get all the variants, and they come in a couple weeks early. It allows us to actually read the paper versions. So I was looking at that. I was like, ah, oh, it's such a cute cover. And then I get into the book. It is not the vibe in this issue <laughs> whatsoever. Man, this one. So Miles has been captured by mysterious forces. That happened at the end of the previous issue. And this one is a tough one. This one is really intense. Like, I will give a little bit of a warning. Like, there's some hard-to-stomach stuff in here. He's essentially tortured and tested on and poked and prodded and brutalized through the whole issue Mm -hmm. by these forces. Um, I don't want to get into the specifics. It's all laid out on the page. This is a big trial for Miles to get through. Uh, and that is a, an important thing. It's like him getting through this and being stronger and figuring out a way through it. That is going to be key. But this one really tests him. I love the, the variety of tones of this series. You yeah. know, you've had like the, the one where Miles and his friends are skipping class mm-hmm. and like going around and they're being chased around Brooklyn and, yeah. and, you know, all that art. And then here you've got this just like Miles is in tears for half the issue. He's like pleading for his sanity, his life. And he's, oh, man. I need to to have a positive resolution. Yeah, to this that, story. that's that, like all yeah. I can say. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's also a really cool <clears throat> art choice throughout this issue that I can just imagine Javi Garon and Nick Lowe talking about and being like, "Oh, that's really that's oh, really yeah. cool and interesting." Because the, basically the entire story is it's like shrunk to the middle of the page. It's like framed by like this big black outline all around it. And it just it just gives you this feeling of claustrophobia and like you just can't escape. It, it is so effective. Really, really great stuff. Okay, next up we have Savage Sword of Conan, number seven. This is written by Jim Zub with art by Patch Zercher, colors by Hava Tartaglia, and 
letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is a uh, this is a younger Conan that we get to see. This one is fun because it feels almost like um, I don't know, like like a James Bond. Yeah. Or um, like a, an Oceans movie or something because there's like there's this gambling aspect to it. And so there's he's kind of in this tavern or kind of this really cool space throughout the issue. There's really interesting characters that he comes across, some really powerful like people that he kind of walks into the room and they're sitting there and they're that kind of vibe. Uh, of course, we have the Savage Sword swinging throughout the issue. But to see where we land uh, is so fun. And um, I'm really excited to see Jim Zub jump onto Savage Sword here and tell stories that you just know he's so excited to tell. Yeah, Jim is a huge, huge Conan fan. He's also a big gamer. And there's something really neat about this issue in that they come up with a card game that yeah. Conan yeah. and the uh, the like some of the other characters play that the people who you know run the Conan properties actually loved it so much they are turning it into a game that you can download a test version of the game print it out play it yourselves and then they're going to be set, like when it's finalized and fully tweaked they're going to be selling this actual game and really nice cards and all this stuff and it's like that's dope yeah it's so cool i love that yeah it's really neat all right up next is secret warps weapon hex annual number one i've got two stories in here the first one by al ewing Inked by Juan Velasco, colors by Carlos Lopez, and lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, and so this one picks up after the Soldier Supreme annual follows Weapon Hex and Speed Weasel going up against the Mad Ghost and his robot apes. Um, <laughs> the Mad Ghost being the Mad Thinker and the Red Ghost. Uh, really fun warp there. There's a really upsetting one of his apes that I was like, Oh no! Oh right, uh, yeah. The machine mandrel. And, yeah. Oh man, that whole sequence got <laughs> yeah. me. Uh, there's other battles that we see picked up from the the first part of this Secret Warp story. There's some Inferno action, you know, taking pulls from that classic X Men crossover, and then we're doing all this stuff, and then we get to the last page of the main story. I don't. It doesn't really give anything away in saying that it makes a warp out of Captain Marvel and the relatively obscure character. Justice Peace mm. of the Time Variance Authority, who's in, I don't know, a bunch of Walt Simonson Thor issues, I believe, and maybe right. a couple of other places. But like, I had to dig deep to figure out <laughs> yeah. where I knew Justice Peace from. And I was like, what's happening? I love it. I love it. It gets real weird. There's a second story called Late Dinner, which is written by Tim Seeley, art by Bob Quinn, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. Really cool. Lots of great activity between. Speed Weasel and Weapon Hexen here. And this one actually gives us a Tigra Wendigo warp, which mm -hmm. I dug. Totally. Um, okay, here we go. I am psyched about this next one. This is my first pick of the week. It's Star Wars 68, uh, and it's written by Greg Pock, with art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Okay, first of all, I try and like kind of creepily hang outside the Star Wars office downstairs sometimes where I'm just like, oh, hey guys, um, you I dropped tying, something, it rolled into your office. You What's tie up? your shoe outside. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that your office was right here. Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, and uh, 
I don't know. I might have mentioned it recently in the polls, but like sometimes I run into. Oh yeah, I mentioned it last week. I'm running to Mark Paniccia on the on the train sometimes, and I'm just like, so what's going on in Star Wars land? Uh, and we talk about things. So when I heard that this is the team that was jumping on board this series, taking over the main series, I just could not be more excited. I mean, Phil Noto, one of the greats, such a signature style. He's an artist that you know does everything himself, from the pencils through to the colors. Uh, but uh, to see his interpretation of these characters um, in this drawn out serialized long story here is just so cool. I mean, of course, we've seen Greg and Phil do uh, a bunch of Star Wars work before. Greg most recently on the Age of Rebellion series. Phil, I think, most recently on Poe Dameron. Yeah, I think he that was done the something last in between. Thing. I mean, he's done Chewbacca. Yeah. He's done a bunch of other stuff. Um, so to see these two team up is just the best, especially knowing how crazy huge a Star Wars fan Greg Pak is. And that's where I enter this story, and that's what you can feel throughout it. You just feel the excitement, the eagerness that Greg jumps into this story with. Basically, the remit of where we are coming out of Kieran Gillen's run on Star Wars and now going into Greg's run, Kieran finished up telling a story that was very much in the shadow of the aftermath of A New Hope or Star Wars and kind of dealing with that coming off of the Battle of Yavin and everything that you know came as a result. This story now, starting here, is starting to tell the preamble and we're starting to move in a big way, starting to feel the tractor beam pull of the Empire Strikes Back. We have um, their kind of looming presence, these kind of insidious forces that we enter this story with. But what's so exciting really is just to see Greg just do adventures and dialogue with Han and Leia and Luke. I can hear like these actors from the movies. I can just hear them saying these words. You, you just know that Greg has such a familiarity with all of this that it probably just pours out of him. Yeah. What I was so excited to see was because this is like a period piece. That's how people always talk about Star Wars movies. It's just it's not sci-fi. It's a period piece. It's an opera. I love to see these like 70s and 80s influence on the clothing and the costumes and things like that. And you can really feel that in this, which is so much fun. You know that's like, okay, we're not designing something just for this world that's just out there. We're designing something that has tenable ties to our world, and that's what makes it relatable and interesting, and that's what gives it that little core of something that you can latch on to. Look, I'm getting back into, like, thesis-level <laughs> crap here. I, can't, I could go on for days. I loved this issue so much. Um, just could not be more excited for the story that this team is going to tell. Heck yeah. Boom. We have Star Wars Age of Resistance Captain Phasma, number one, written by ya boy Tom Taylor, with pencils by Leonard Kirk, inks by Corey Hampshire, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Man, this is a hell of an issue. So really? good. Nearly one of my picks. We get to dig deeper into who Phasma is and what she's about by looking at her interactions with other First Order soldiers, which I think is mm -hmm. great. Like, you can learn a lot about a person by the way they treat others, the way they work with others. Like, there's so many things about that, and I think that's a smart way to approach the story. It's basically about a First Order mission on a planet and the lessons of leadership and sacrifice and thinking bigger than the personal stakes of it all, but that you, like, it's, like, twisted and mean yeah. like Phasma. And you fully hear Gwendolyn's voice. Yeah, like yeah. You, like, I was just... Same thing with the last... With the Star Wars issue. Like, when the Star Wars comics that we produce, 
that feature characters from the films mm-hmm. when they are at their best. I sort of like mishmash the comic and the the characters from the films together. Yeah. So I hear them without thinking about mm-hmm. it. And that happens here. That happened to me in that Star Wars comic. It just it felt as cohesively one thing as it possibly could. Totally. Okay, next up we have Symbiote Spider-Man number four. It's written by Peter David with pencils by Greg Land, inks by Jay Lyston, and colors by Frank D'Armato with letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Of course, this is taking place at a time when Spidey has the black suit, the alien suit. So to see that influence on things, um, but also to see him go up against uh, characters like Wilson Fisk or Mysterio is just so much fun. I also just love to see... Peter David's specific brand of storytelling, which I think over the last few years I've gotten very familiar with and, and I'm a big fan of because it has this like a slightly weirder edge. It has this kind of darker little flavor to it. And, and I really love that. Also, some great big like splash paid shots of, of these characters. These specifically, I'm thinking of Mysterio. Uh so there's a there's a moment there where there's like a little tiny sliver of of symbiote. That yeah, is, is attached to somebody. Yeah, what do you? What would you do if you like not a full symbiote? So you're not like full powerful, <sighs> right, right, right. but like you could. You were stronger. You could do <laughs> some stuff. What do you do? I think that would just be. I think I would probably just get immediately like way too overconfident and like be like, I'm gonna freaking jump off a building. Let's do it, and then I would just die. Like uh, I would just like get too excited. And then just meet my own demise. You're like, screw you guys. I got the symbiote power. And then just get immediately run over by a dump truck. Uh, Triple P was doing a little dance. Apparently, she's going to dance if she gets a little bit of the symbiote. Uh, All right. Let's keep this train rolling because our next book is Thor number 15. Written by Jason Aaron. Art by Mike Del Mundo. Colors by Mike Del Mundo and Marco D'Alfonso. With lettering and production by VCs Joe Sabino. And it's my second pick of the week. Um, oh man. I mean, like, what can you say? There's something so, so, so special in a way um, that is, like, beyond the level of special that we always kind of talk about as being special. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, like, there are certain series or certain creators that have just set such an insanely high standard for themselves and for them for their books that every issue is just brilliant comic book making. And then there are some that somehow exceed and stand out even from that. And this was this was one of those issues for me. Look, Jason Aaron, I think widely regarded as one of the best maybe the best comic book writer out there, period. He obviously is so brilliant and so, I I just keep thinking of the word special because it's more than just the the technical side of things. It's more than just good storytelling. There's something else, something indefinable about it. But Mike Del Mundo's art matches that in such a gorgeous way. The soft tones of the colors that he uses, the way that he blends like backgrounds with characters, the way that a character emerges into a scene, it just captures the spirit of Jason's writing. It captures a spirit all its own in this just absolutely gorgeous way. This story is very much coming out of all that happened in War of the Realms. But not just that, it's kind of 
I mean, Jason Aaron's been writing a cohesive story for seven, eight years now. We've talked about it a ton in recent months. And this is a this is an issue that you feel like is a big moment, a big threshold moment for that entire years long story. Of course, if you're just reading this run or if you just read War of the Realms, it fits perfectly and it's gorgeous. It's going to give you just like crazy goosebumps. But knowing that it's part of this larger whole is just so incredible. You know, knowing that King Thor is on its way and that is going to be the finale of the Jason Aaron Thor saga. I mean, this is exactly, we talk about it all the time. Like, what would you hand to someone to convince them like, comic books are amazing this is like one of those issues that i would think of it is just such good stuff yeah again couldn't talk about it enough the the um man it's got a little bit of setup for loki and the valkyrie books mm-hmm. which is really cool but the malekith stuff it's got the final fate of malekith in here which i truly got me a little teary-eyed with the last panel of that and i was like it emotionally moved me yeah how, uh, how does he do it I, like, man. how do you do that? God, so good. So good. So good. Okay, next up we have Venom number 16. And this is a return of Mr. Donny Cates to Venom alongside Juan Gideon on art and Jesus Abertov on colors with VCs Clayton Cowles on letters. Whoa, Juan Gideon. The art on this book is insane. Do you know the artist Simon Bisley? Uh, no. Simon Bisley. Bisley. He worked on Lobo for DC. He did a lot mm. of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. like 90s, giant dudes, yeah. massive muscles, veins rippling, really detailed, gnarly like, like flex boys and let's rip <laughs> some souls apart. So good. So metal. Like I got major biz vibes in yeah. this issue. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I. There's just something about, you know, Venom actually in that Spider-Man way where it's just like, it's such a specific character, but at the same time, it is an amazing blank canvas for idiosyncratic artists to jump on and have their own unique spin with the way that he does venom, the way that the mouth is shaped the way exactly like you said, his just huge hulking muscular body, like the physiology of this, of this character is just so spot on, but also absolutely the colors just like match it and level it up in like a way that is just so deserving that the art is so deserving of his Abertov on colors. It's kind of this neon like pinks and purples and like teals and, and, and things like that. So, so spectacular. And for a series that has, a standard that is so high with Mr. Ryan Segman as the series artist, like to have a, a, an issue that stands out on art like this is so, so special. Just incredible book, incredible series. I think this is the last issue before absolute carnage. Yeah. Anything, all hell breaks loose next oh, issue man. or next month. Oh man, man. All right. Up next is war of the realms. Omega number one. It's my second pick of the week. And this is everything I could have wanted. Yeah. This is I think this is the capper to all of the War of the Realm stories. Of course, Thor gave us a little taste of what's to come, but that was a big focus on Thor. This one has a whole bunch of other things. So there's four stories in here. The first one and sort of the framing story of the issue is called God and the Devil Walk into a Church, written by Jason Aaron, drawn by Ron Garney, colored by Matt Mila, lettered by VCs Joe Sabino. This wraps up the story of Daredevil, God Without Fear. It's him basically talking to 
Heimdall about how he feels and like just imagine someone you had the ability to see and sense and understand cosmically. Yeah. And that was taken away from you. You sacrificed it to save the world. He gives that power away and he's like the emptiness that Matt feels, but Heimdall is with him and he's like, I think it's going to have a lasting impact Mm. on who Daredevil is Mm -hmm. for years. Second story is called The Job I Have to Do, written by Al Ewing and Jason Aaron, art by Kafu, colored by Jesus Arbatov, lettered by VCs Joe Sabito, and this is a Valkyrie story. It's about Jane Foster. And this is a core, if you were going to read Valkyrie, if you're going to read any of the stories that this sort of sets up, I highly suggest you pick up this issue. Um, Because they're one, they're great, but two, this actually shows you how Jane becomes the Valkyrie what that means, why it happens, how it happens, where it happens. It's got really cool cameo by Thor in here and the way that Al and Jason sort of talk about Thor and how he feels when he's looking at his comrades, mm-hmm. all these dead Valkyries sitting in front of him. And like, he is now the All-Father. And that weight of sadness on him is so palpable. Beautiful, beautiful art by Cafu. Just mm-hmm. incredible. Like, I crushing it. The third story in the issue is called Born Small. Uh, it is written by Daniel Kibblesmith, drawn by Oscar Basildua, colored by David Curiel, lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one is the lead up to our new Loki series mm-hmm. and by, by Daniel and Oscar. And that one is so great. It's really wonderful world building story. You get to see this is Loki early days as King of the Frost Giants and showing like how other Frost Giants are viewing this. And we get this character who is like as the title says, born small, similar to Loki and how that plays out. And it's a thoughtful, sweet, sad story. It's it's really, I loved it. I loved it. It's gorgeous art. The great appetizer for this book. I'm calling it now. Daniel Kibblesmith. I feel like the Loki series that this story sets up is going to be his like equivalent to like, I'm just imagining, and I want to go on record as saying like a Chip Zdarsky-esque future for Daniel Kibblesmith because we know he's insanely funny and we know that he can hit those jokes and it's just so much fun to read. But seeing this story and now and now kind of knowing that we're moving into Loki, we're pulling on some other threads and he's showing off some other talents that he has. I'm so excited for that series and I'm so excited for, you know, all that it's going to bring. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, last but not least, we have a story called War Orphans written by Jerry Duggan. Drawn and colored by Juan Ferreira, lettered by VCs Corey Pettit. Man. Juan. Juan. Jerry and Juan? Jerry and Juan. Are you kidding? G&J. The machine is in effect. This is the lead up to Punisher Kill Crew, and it sets up what Frank's mission is. Mm-hmm. Like This book, Punisher Kill Crew, is going to be a very different book in some senses because the Punisher book that Matt Rosenberg writes takes him through this path and he's working through the Marvel universe and it's sort of following him dealing with Hydra. This one has Punisher on a vengeance mission against the remaining forces that Malekith has left behind on Midgard. And the war orphans is a very real thing that he Mm -hmm. sees and affects him and is going to propel him forward. I can't wait on its own. It's tremendous. It's four great stories. But if you are, at all interested in any of those books, Punisher, Kill Crew, Loki, or Valkyrie, you, you got to read this. Yeah. And if you weren't planning on reading them, 
I'm pretty sure you're going to want to read all of them after this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Next up, we have Wolverine and Captain America, Weapon Plus Number One. It's written by Ethan Sachs with pencils by Diogenes Nevis, inks by Adriano Di Benedetto, colors by Federico Bli, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. We did a really fun thing on Marvel.com in the bullet up to this issue where we kind of, I like made this page that was just called like, and I titled it Test Post, like, do not publish. <laughs> and I even made like a fake author for it that was like test moderator two or something like that. And then we just did a bunch of like fake code and stuff. We inserted some some fun uh, like secret confidential documents in there about this. And that was all in the build up to this um, one shot that that came from the mind of this book's editor, Chris Robinson. It's cool because it digs into the what Cap and Wolvie have in common, which is the Weapon Plus program. Obviously, Cap being like, you know, Weapon 1 and Wolverine being obviously Weapon X. Talking earlier about Ironheart and Doctor Strange and their team up and why that's so fun to see. Not just their dynamic and and those characters dialoguing and and having conversations, but to see just like visually that contrast and, and to see how they team up together is just so much fun. I definitely felt the same way about this issue with Wolverine and Cap because these are two characters that are like maybe the two, maybe, maybe number one and number two. I don't know. It depends on who you ask in the Marvel Universe. You know, at the same time, I don't think people automatically associate them with one another. But to see them go through this story, which is a really cool kind of spy underground story, as you could, you know, guess or imagine, knowing what we all know about the Weapon Plus program, it kind of jumps between uh, eras a little bit. We see how the history of these characters impacts their present. I would love to see like this turned into a series. I would love to see any story that like really focuses in on the similarities between these two characters. Cause guess what? They're both really old men. They're like so old. They're like great, great, great grandpas, both of them. Um, but they're also like two of the, the, the greatest heroes in the Marvel universe. Loved it. Great issue. Yeah. I can't wait to see where this story goes. There's yeah. this double page spread that is full of little details and Easter eggs. I would love it if you guys on Marvel.com could put together a story about that spread yeah. once the issue comes out. Because I think there's like a lot to dig into. Chris can probably totally, help I mean, like yeah. say, okay, this means this and that's that. Uh, man, I loved it. Yeah. Really, really good. All right. Last book of the week is Wolverine versus Blade special number one written by Mark Guggenheim. Art and cover by Dave Wilkins. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I think this issue has been in the vault for a while, and I'm really happy it's finally releasing. It is brutal and funny and basically a buddy cop story with Blade and Wolverine versus vampires and vampire mutants, uh, which is wild. It's got jokes and so much blood and, like, vampire skewering and burning and slicing, and it's wild. Yeah. They fight. They joke. They kill together. The art is gorgeous. Dave does this painted style that's like a mix of Greg Land and Arthur Soydum. It is just a gnarly little one shot. Like if you like Blade, you like Wolverine, you want to see some vampires get got. Yeah. This is your book. (laughs) That's right. Um, Okay. That wraps up all of the individual issues on sale this week. And now collections on sale include Captain America Masterworks Volume 11, Decades Marvel in the OOs. The 2000s? The O's? O's. The O's. The O's. The Nots? What is... Okay. Yeah, that's Hit, the uh, Decades, Marvel in the 2000s hitting the headlines. 
Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man Volume 1, Secrets and Rumors, Ironheart Volume 1, Those with Courage, Marvel Monograph, J. Scott Campbell, The Complete Covers Volume 1, New Mutants Epic Collection, The Demon Bear Saga, New X-Men Companion, Spider-Man Deadpool Volume 9, Event Pool, and Weird World, The Dragon Master of Clarn. Heck yeah. Uh, of course, there's lots of stuff on the Marvel Digital side. Uh, on Marvel Unlimited, the first issue of Wolverine the Long Night adaptation is in there. So uh, if you haven't checked out the podcast, which is free, you can read the comic book, which is now on Marvel Unlimited. So much to do. Uh, there's some 90s Adventures of the X-Men in there. Really excited. There's almost 20 issues of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos from the 1960s, which was added up in there. And plenty more. You can get the full list on marvel.com and uh yeah enjoy it yeah it's great so many good comics uh oh want to make a note that um our what is this is the episode for july 10th i believe next week our video episode mm-hmm. will be our october previews special where Ooh. we'll be revealing some new comics coming out so if you are not watching our videos please watch them we yeah. get silly. We're yeah. having fun. Yeah. Good stuff. Check it out. We'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. You're yours. <laughs>